Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You know, Duke, I'm so excited about the 56th annual CAC reunion this year, which we're having at the Plaza Hotel and Casino in downtown Vegas. It was uh, renovated a couple of years ago. They put about $100 million into it. The hotel has been uh, renovated as well in the last couple of years. And uh, we're moving from the Gold Coast Hotel and Casino to the downtown area on Fremont Street. And it's sure to be a great time. It's uh, September 26th through the 28th. We do have some tickets left. One reunion ticket is $150. And that encompasses the entire reunion from two wonderful meals to all the seminars. To, I mean, we have so many things going on. You'd have to go to our website at uh, cauliflowerallyclub.org to check everything out. I hope that your listeners will consider becoming a uh, member of the CAC because every dollar that we make goes to helping wrestlers and not just wrestlers, people that made a full-time, doesn't matter, but people that made a full-time living in the wrestling industry um, for three years or longer, uh, we actually help everyone that, you know, falls on a bad, bad time. We don't help people with drug situations or alcohol situations. But other than that, you know, we're right there. We've saved uh, people's houses, uh, paid medical bills, uh, got people cancer treatments. The Cauliflower Alley Club has done so many wonderful things, and it's because of its members. It's because of people like you, Duke, where Duke loves wrestling, has, uh, you know, advertised the CAC for many years and promoted the CAC because it's a group effort. It's everybody helping everybody because we all love wrestling. To the only show that matters. The cream of the crop. Duke loves wrestling. And there is no one that does it better than your host. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. The Duke. And I'm all out of bubblegum. You know, folks, we had an exciting week of pro wrestling when uh, SummerSlam and Ric Flair's last match happened in the same weekend. It was crazy. And rather than sit here and run my mouth by myself, I figured, let me get my cousin from Puerto Rico to come on the show, break it down for me, let me know his perspective, because he's a good dude. He knows what he's talking about. So, Jay, welcome back to Duke Loves Wrestling. How are you, brother? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And you, Doug, what's going on, everybody? Man, I, I'm doing great. You know, the last time you were on here with the whole family there, we were talking about food. We were talking about uh, your wonderful collection of wrestling memorabilia. You know, it was such a good time. People really enjoyed that. Uh, how, how's the collection going since the last time you were on the show? Have you have you added any pieces since June? Uh, yes, <laughs> plenty more. Just yesterday, the wife came in with, I believe seven figures from hyperspace so it was their birthday yesterday so they had a little show you know going on and some giveaways and she went she came back with seven figures (laughs) just yesterday seven figures so you know i gotta ask you jay what what were the figures well we got the uh, 
Elite Cactus Jack ECW from ringside. We got the Road Warriors from 1997, uh, still in the package from WWF. Uh, we got the uh, WrestleMania edition from the Tron Ready, The Rock from 1999, uh, Jack Specific. So we got a good, some good goods. We got a Sting, Red NWO. Uh, what else we got? Yeah. And, oh, we got Rikishi. I, I didn't have a Rikishi for my Samoan Dynasty wall. So finally got a Rikishi. So pretty hype. <laughs> that is, that hype. is a, a hell of a haul there. That's good stuff there. Bro, we what? need, a, we need a, a store like that here in Boston, man. We don't have anything like that place. So I'm going to have to make some calls here and see if we can get Hyperspace Boston. My goodness. I know, right? Yes, definitely. That's fun. So SummerSlam. Let's let's talk about SummerSlam because I know that uh, you had a little uh, thing going on at your place. You were live streaming with some folks, and I know the kids were watching along with you. What was your right. overall take on SummerSlam 2022? Did you enjoy it? Was it marginal, or did you not enjoy it? What did you think of it overall? Man, I tell you, I think it was the best SummerSlam, I guess, in the past to me. Last at least two years, it been the best SummerSlam. What was so special about it for you? Because that's a, that's pretty high praise there, Jay. Um, what was it about SummerSlam this year that made such a big impression on you? It shows the beginning of a new era with Triple H, Stephanie. I think it's showing there's time for a change, that it's not just about what the high end thinks is now about talent. It's not about just your looks or who you want to pick. It's just more about talent. I think it's time for talent, not time for just your look or why they could get out of you. Deep, deep. Good stuff. Good stuff. And I agree with you 100% there. Um, give me your top three picks. Let, let's go over three matches that made the biggest impression on you. And I, I know that you had a big reaction to the main event. So let's stay, save that one for last. So other than the main event, Lesnar versus uh, Roman Reigns, what were the two other matches on that card that really stood out for you? Uh, of course, I got to go with the Usos on the Street Profits. I love that match. The chemistry... The way that they sell, even that, the, the, the selling of the moves for them is just top-notch. So I love that match. Having Jeff Jarrett there, too, just reminding you what's going to happen the next night. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> so so the, the Usos and Street Profits, that was a long match, too. That match went at least a half hour, right? Yes, yes, yes. It was good, good. It was intense. I, I- it was a back and forward. And again, I, the chemistry, it just, it just that much. They have a lot of chemistry and it just make you stay in the match. You know, you just, you don't want to look away because you don't know what's going to happen next. You know, there are a lot of people that talk about the best tag team in the world and et cetera, et cetera. Jay, I believe the Usos without question. And there's nobody, whoever number two is, they're not even close. I think the Usos are the absolute best tag team in the world. And and not only that, they're one of the greatest tag teams of all time. 
what's your take on that? Yes. Do you agree? Yeah, I, 100%. And I'm, I'm a big, huge fan of the revival of FTR, however we want to call them. I'm a big fan, like top, top fan. But when you ask me who's the best all around, all time tag team, I got to go with the Usos. It just, come on. It's, it's not even close right now. Even right now, that's not even close. I, I mean, there's just the bloodline, man. They're firing on all cylinders. And what I love about the Usos is that they keep finding new ways to become even more interesting. Like they're, they're not just stuck doing one thing. This, this latest incarnation where they're messing with Sami Zayn, I find that so compelling and so interesting. I want to know what's going to happen. Sammy, Sammy Zayn wants to be part of the bloodline so bad, and he's not allowed to talk to Roman. So he's got to beg the Usos and Heyman, and they're looking at him like, yo, we got gold, where's yours? So now Sammy Zayn's going to have to find a title to go after, and he better win it if he wants to be down with the crew. That's just interesting to me. I, I just I love that. I can't wait to see what happens next. But that just goes to show the Usos can have the best match or one of the best matches on the card every single night, but they have their character development down as well. So it just really this is some of the best tag team work we've ever seen. Yes, 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 yes. They, they kill everything that they do. They just whatever they give them, they just elevate it. Yeah. And yes, Sami Zayn. I think Sami Zayn is great, and I think Sami Zayn need a chance. You give Sami Zayn a chance, man. I don't see why not. Even Sami Zayn taking a belt from Roman, you know, maybe you know, Halluva kick, uh, put his feet on the ropes for a pin, steal the win. I don't see why not. That'd be fun. That'd be different. It would pop the whole damn world, man. People would go absolutely crazy over that. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> that would be nuts. All right. So so we know that the, the Usos versus, and, and of course, Street Profits, these guys, I know a lot of people keep talking about breaking them up. I think that would be the biggest mistake ever. I don't think we've seen nearly as much from the Street Profits as what they're capable of. And I don't think either one of them are ready for a true singles run. I, I think, you know, Montez Ford is still trying to figure out what his body is going to look like. He's bulked up a lot. Is he going to be able to hold on to that? Um, he's definitely lost a step in terms of speed since he's put on that extra muscle, which makes sense. But I think he needs to change his wrestling style a little bit if he wants to be geared for the long haul because all that flippy-dippy peanut butter skippy, uh, he's going to break his neck out there. Whereas Dawkins, I think this guy just needs a little bit more confidence because I think Dawkins is a future champion if he's packaged the right way. But Yes, I think the same thing. I think the same way. Either way, these guys, would you break them up right now, Jay, or would you give them a little bit more time as a team together? No, I got to give them a – you got to give them a little bit more time. And then for me, you got to start letting exactly Dawkins – Shine like I believe that match with Seth Rollins and Doc and Montez Ford, I think would have went better if it was Doc and and, and and Seth. Agreed. I don't know. I, I I wasn't complete into the match. It was a couple of things that slowed down the match and a couple of things that knickknacks that you could see. Like okay, hold on. 
So. I take nothing away from Montez Ford. I enjoy him. I think he's a hell of a talent. But I think part of his problem is that he tries too hard. And yes. when people try too hard, that's when they set themselves up for making major mistakes. You know what I mean? Which could cost him a major injury, unfortunately. Whereas a guy like Dawkins, I don't think Dawkins realizes how good he actually is. And yes. that's the scary part about that because it's like he's really good and, and he's got some good size on him for a big man. Uh, I don't like his ring gear. I think no. that. Right. He, he kind of looks kind of sloppy with the ring gear, which is not he's not a sloppy guy. So it's just kind of weird. But I think that if you if you package Dawkins a little bit, if you update him the same way the Usos did, the Usos used to wear bright colors and all that other nonsense when they came with how they really dress and they started allowing their real attitude to shine on TV. That's when the Usos were in their bag, as we see today. I think Dawkins needs that type of confidence boost. And if he got that. I don't think th- I think you got to put him in the main event scene right away because that dude is talented enough where he could do it. I- I'm with you there. Okay, so so you have one more before we talk about the main event. What was another match that really stood out for you? I was gonna go with the Liv and Ronda, but I gotta go, of course, with the beginning of a new era. Uh, I think this match Bianca and Becky was really good. But it definitely represented uh, the woman wrestling in WWE. It's going to have a change, a big change, plus the beginning of a new era with Triple H and Stephanie. I think all the whole match and everything around it was top notch. I agree. And, and I got to be honest with you, Jay. I was very, very surprised at how good this match was. Not to be disrespectful to either of the ladies because, you know, Becky Lynch is one of the best wrestlers in the world. And I, I do give her a hard time because I expect more out of her. I, I feel like at times the quality of her wrestling has not been what it should be considering her level of experience and who she's been in the ring with. But certainly the, over the past year since she's come back, um, she's been tremendous. And Bianca Belair I think it's still trying to adjust to being a superstar and just like anybody else, you know, when you start a job and you get a promotion, it can take time for you to settle into your new role. But I got to tell you this match in particular was the first time that I felt like Bianca Belair was wrestling like one of the best wrestlers in the world. Like she just something clicked in this match with Becky Lynch where Everything she had done with everything Bianca had done with Bailey, everything Bianca had done with Sasha Banks, everything Bianca had done with Charlotte, it just all clicked in this match with Becky. And it, and it truly was it, it may go down as one of the uh, matches of the year, quite frankly, just because of how excellent it was. And I was surprised that it started the night, too, because it they set a high bar that not too many other matches were able to live up to. You could tell it was the beginning of a new era. Like you had to now from now on, it's time to step up to the plate or step get stepped on. Or you That's gotta right. put uh you gotta start showing your talent. It's not just about your flips and your this or that. And you know, it's time to show talent. What can we do? Why can we expose? Why can we create new what we could give the people? And I think everything around the match, it was that. You're seeing 
exactly a different Bianca in that ring. Uh, and Becky, the ending for Becky, especially knowing that she had a separated shoulder, it's, it's pretty dope. <laughs> you know, so you gotta, you gotta acknowledge that match. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and you know, I know that you have some thoughts about the Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey match. I got to be honest with you, Jay. After seeing what Bianca and Becky did, I was very disappointed in the Liv and and, and uh, Ronda match. I thought the finish was good, but Liv Morgan, I don't know what's going on with her, but her quality of wrestling is so far below the rest of these women that it's it's really incredible that she's the champion because she, in my opinion, and, and, and Jay, I want to hear yours because you might have a totally different take here, but in my opinion, Liv Morgan might be the worst women's wrestler in WWE right now. Well, if we, if we look at the quality of wrestling between the other girls, yes, she, she, she still needs a lot of work, but she, for what I see, what I get from Liv, she had work and work and work, not complain, take the loss, take this, take that. And I think it was time to give her a shine to see what she could do. But I don't believe, I, I, I like her as a champion because I like Liv. I can't lie, I like Liv. But I don't think she's quality champion yet to be able to carry the belt and, and, and you know, I don't think she she's there yet. I don't think she's there. It's showing, and now it's showing with Ronda uh, and the big matches, and even in her promos, you you seeing that she's not ready yet. And that's unfortunate because, you know, I can accept that from a Bianca Belair because she's still relatively new, Bianca Belair, and and, and you know she has not been in the in the company that long what is it it's been maybe five years six years tops and if you think about it as soon as bianca came came out to the to the roster she started got she got thrown into that mix of right away being the superstar going for the belt you know since the get so they're seeing something more and, and bianca they're definitely seeing it and and lift the thing is lift got the people behind her but the other night, it didn't look that way. <laughs> well, they, they started booing her, and, and people are so confused why they're booing. I'm going to tell you right now, they're booing Liv Morgan because her quality of wrestling and her promos, just as you said, Jay, they're not where they should be. Liv has been in that company a lot longer than Bianca, and she's so far behind Bianca, it's embarrassing. You know what I mean? And I'm not trying to come down on anybody because I like like you. I like Liv as a person. I don't know if, if you know this. She's an ordained minister. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting to, to that little factoid there. Um, she's into farming and stuff like that. I, I think she's a very interesting person. But it's very clear that her likability is what's helped her be where she's at as opposed to her skill set. Because her skill set is so below par, given the amount of time the company has invested in her. They put her in the riot squad with Sarah Logan and Ruby Riot, two women who, you know, will work in the indies and, and have so much experience and can actually wrestle. Liv Morgan is so far behind, considering the amount of money that the company has spent investing in her. I'm not so sure if I was in charge, I wouldn't cut her. 
You know what I mean? It's like, there's no reason to keep somebody like that because you look at these girls coming up from NXT, you look at, you know, Lash Legend and you look at, um, uh, what's the, what's it? Is it Tiffany? The, the blonde girl who, the Barbie looking girl who is just incredible like, uh, in the ring. Uh, the fit Barbie, something like that. Yeah. 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 She, she's doing a great job. You look at, um, uh, well, she got Nikita Lyons. She got Nikita Lyons. Yeah, yeah. Who she's been on this show, and 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 then you have uh, what's his name there? Santino's daughter, who is just yes. tremendous. She is just tremendous. Yes. So it's like we we got a whole crop of women coming up. Who, in my opinion, Jay, they're going to be the. This might be the golden era of women's wrestling in the WWE, even bigger than the four four horsewomen era. Uh, the way that these NXT girls are coming up because this, the quality of their work from the beginning is solid. It, it took the four horse women a couple of years to get to where they were, where they all were solid. These young ladies have less than a year, most of them, and they're already solid. So it's, it's really interesting. You can't have a Liv Morgan in the mix of something like that when you have that type of quality coming up. So I... And you having that, Russell, you got to remember, you got Raquel Rodriguez. Oh, boy. You got, yeah. you got yeah. Zia Lee already yep. in there. Come on. You got a couple of names that, come on. It's definitely, Liv cannot, you know, compare to the wrestling ability and promo ability, you know? And, yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate because, again, she's a likable person. She's a beautiful young lady. I think she has a lot of personality traits that are interesting and are worth tapping into, especially the minister thing. I think that would be interesting to talk about on TV, but your promos and your wrestling, if you, if you can't do the basics, why are you here? So, you know, Liv Morgan, if you're listening, I know Stephanie McMahon listens to the show. Uh, she's got to step it up, Steph. She's got to step it up. And if she's selling merchandise and all that, and from a business standpoint, it makes sense to keep her. I get it. But it's disheartening on a competitive roster and you have somebody who clearly is not their, their, the quality of work is not on par with everybody else. It just makes everybody else feel like they, they can't do enough to achieve what they need to achieve. Despite the fact that they're doing so well, when you have somebody who's so far behind, despite the fact that they've been invested in so much, that's poison in the locker room. That's poison in a workplace as a manager of people, I can't have an underperformer being the top person. That doesn't make sense. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, let's get to the main event, Jay, because this was, you know, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. They've wrestled each other at least at least 30 times uh, in their career. So everybody was was kind of ah, I don't want to see this again, yada, yada, yada. And then these guys. Do, do things in a match that has never been seen before. It's, it's never happened before in the history of pro wrestling. What did you think of this main event of SummerSlam? And again, it, it shows you there was a beginning of a new era. I just got to go back to that and emphasize that because you would never thought of seeing Brock Lesnar in a farm truck picking up the ring when you thought of seeing that, like when, you know, <laughs> it's Brock Lesnar. It's a man looking, you know, not talking to nobody, kept to himself, whatever, whatever. 
and then he could come and does this. Ah, that was completely different. That was new. That's refreshing. I think if Brock continues doing this, again, he would not need a, ch- a belt. If they get him a couple of things to do just like they just messing around, man, forget it. Forget it. It'd be, it'd be money. And the match, the match itself to me was good. I think it was a good match. It was, it felt different than every single other match that they had. Again, I, I'm a Roman guy. So, and I'm a Brooklyn guy. So, seeing them, you know, any main event to me is going to be yes. I don't care. Yes. But this match felt different. It is so different. And it gave, it gave, the fans and a chance to kind of believe that okay, this is the last match, you know. But nah, I think something's coming. Well said. Well said. And I agree hundred percent, man. Cause it <laughs> that if they're gonna be that creative, then give me more. Like I, I I can't wait to see what happens next. I think that it it causes everybody to have to tune in. You know what I mean? Because they, Jesus, pro wrestling has been around for hundreds of years. And yet they were able to do something that was never done before. How many times can you say that you saw something you never saw before? Especially in the WWE, which is relatively safe. Uh, They don't go out of their way to shock people too much in a match, at least. And yet there we go. And here's the best part about that, Jay. Brock Lesnar was able to pick the ring up with the with the damn farming tool, like you said, and do all that crazy stuff with it and what have you. All of that happened and nobody spilled any blood. Right. Yes. You, you didn't have to do that. There was no flippy dippy peanut butter skippy. You didn't have to do any of that as well. And they were still able to put on the most talked about match of the year so far. Yes, 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 yes. See, you know, I, I like blood. I can't lie. Uh, you know, I was expecting maybe Roman to bleed. I'm not going to lie. But the thing is, there's some other promotions now that doing blood. And to me, they're starting to go overboard on how much blood. You know, the Stone Cold and, and Bret Hart match, you know, when he's all bloody, uh, I, I'm okay with that one. It didn't happen that many times. The other one that was really bloody to me was JBL and Eddie, if I'm not wrong. That one was bloody. But not every other night having a bloody match is appealing to me too much. So not having blood, it kind of was good. It gave the the fans that, okay, here we go. We're going to entertain you. We're going to beat each other up. But we don't need to bleed to to sell what we're doing. Well said. Well said, 100%. And, and it's, you know, it's we see this happening in AEW with John Moxley right now, where it seems like every time he walks out, he has to bleed. And it's such a cheap and unnecessary and dangerous thing to do. You, you really got to wonder who's in charge here and when can we dial some of that stuff back? Because at the end of the day, People want to see quality product. They don't need to see all these little weird bells and whistles that amount to nothing. If he's bleeding against Mance Warner, whoever the hell that is, then I guess anybody can bust John Moxley open, right? Yeah, 
And having a pay-per-view called Blood and Guts, oh. why don't you keep the blood and guts for Blood and Guts? Yeah. And yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> Not have it every other night in live TV, and then you have a pay-per-view called Blood and Guts or a show called Blood and Guts and still have blood and why just make it relevant? Not just make it relevant now. I agree. I agree. So SummerSlam, once again, bang up show. Good stuff there, WWE. Uh, Stephanie McMahon, Nick Khan, co-CEO. Stephanie is the uh, chairwoman of the board of directors for WWE Incorporated. Great stuff. Triple H, he's the he's the head of talent relations and the lead booker now. So congratulations. I still, you know, Triple H, you're still new coke to me. I still need to see more out of you. But from what we've seen so far, you're moving in the right direction. So keep that momentum going. Now, Another if you don't mind me interrupting, Duke. Go ahead. We can't for, if we're talking about SummerSlam, we can't forget that Kota Kai and Eo Sky coming back. True, true. That's to me, that's epic. When the Kota Kai came out, I said, oh my God, okay, we got two by two, two on two. You know, Becky, that's why Becky went to the side like that and she didn't leave. She went to the side by commentator. That's why she didn't leave. So I said, okay, two on two. Well, then see Io Shirai or Io Sky coming out. Man, we freaked out. Me and my son, we freaked out. <laughs> it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about that, that women's division being very competitive, which means that we can't have people, you know, not pulling their weight because Ido, Ido I guess we got to call it Ido Sky. 100% is one of the best women's wrestlers to ever come around over the past decade. She's incredible. And at any point, Dakota Sky, you can make the same argument about her, especially when it comes to tag team wrestling. So these are two women who mean serious business, and they're going to be great challengers in that women's division. And then you have Bailey, who legitimately is one of the greatest of all time. Um, so that's, that's a hell of a, a, a trio there. And I can't wait to see. Here we go again. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. You know, people are going to be tuning in because it's it's very compelling. Uh, now, there was another event that happened over the weekend, and that's Ric Flair's last match. Bef before we talk about the main event, was there any match on that card that stood out for you that it was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. That was that was pretty damn good. Three matches. It was three matches that. I believe that those three matches, and to me, completely stand out, made the show that even better, more interesting. Uh, and it took some of the probably backlash or maybe people talking bad about the event and whatever, whatever. It kind of helped the event take some of the bright lights away from Rick a little bit so people could enjoy something else before that. So to me, uh, Smith Jr. and Killer Cross, that was that was a good match to me. Uh, of course, I'm a Killer Cross guy, Karen Cross. Uh, so that was a good match. The Samoan Werewolf match, that dude, and, and the Impact Champion. Oh, man, I need to see that, and I need to see him, the Samoan Werewolf, as the Impact Champion. I liked that match. And then I liked the 
the Lucha Libre match. I forgot. I think Ray Phoenix was in that match. If I'm not wrong. Well, that match was awesome. That match was awesome, too. All right. So so you definitely are impressed by this event. So talk to me about the main event. Ric Flair, Andrade versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. What did you think about the main event? I enjoyed it. I liked it. Uh, like I said, it, uh, and people might say, oh, no, I don't I don't I don't think so. Come on. How can you say that? But you give me the episodes that Ric Flair did to this, his last match, including the match, has been the most entertaining besides SummerSlam wrestling that I think I had enjoyed in the past two, three months. Deep. <laughs> just, just the way they was built up, and then you see the match itself. Uh, you see the bloody Ric Flair. You see the bumps that he's taking, uh, what he's trying to do. How people is behind him when he's doing his stroll, when he's doing his woo, when he's doing his chops. You know, it was really good. To me, I enjoyed the whole match. I enjoyed it. It's really good. Jay Lito, I take, man, Jay Lito needs to be somebody franchise. And Jeff Jarrett, it's Jeff Jarrett. It's, you know, another legend. So to me, it was, it was great. It was a good, good match. Uh, besides, of course, Flair, you could see the age. You could see, of course, he started bleeding. He got tired, but it was a little stiff. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I, I I loved it. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, listen, for a guy that age to be able to do what he did in that match, it was something. It was something else, man. It was definitely something else. I didn't like the blood, but it's Ric Flair, so I, I get it. But uh, I didn't like the blood. I thought it was unnecessary. Um, but for Ric Flair, a guy who's died four times in his life um, and managed to survive it, they've, they've brought him back in, you know, to life four times. The man's had all his organs shut down before. For him to be in a match, that match lasted long. I mean, it was over 20 minutes. Uh, taking bumps, you know, picking people up and doing things. Like, it, it just... It was special, and that's why I hope Ric Flair never wrestles again. Because don't don't market to us that it's your last match if it's not. Exactly. You know, let's let's uh, let's respect the fans and let's respect the marketing of this event because it was highly successful too. A lot of people tuned in online, uh, bought the pay per view. You know, they they did a great attendance, made a lot of money at the gate. So it's it was a, a financially successful event. Let's let's end on that high note and leave it at that. You know what I mean? Let's not get hurt now. Yeah, well, that's it. And that's the other thing. We don't need to see Ric Flair literally die in the ring. Um, nobody wants to see that, no matter how much Flair is going to try. Um, <laughs> and, and I hope that people like Conrad, who's a friend and been on the show numerous times, I hope that you guys really, I know that Rick is at that age where no one can tell him anything, but it's time. It's time to start telling him something. It's I okay, I, I, you know? That's right, that's right. I take him as the manager. Just keep him up the ring. Yeah, yeah, he could be the manager all day long. I love it. And in fact, I want to see him back in the WWE managing. I think that's interesting, you know? But yes. uh, time will tell. Listen, you know, before I let you go, I, I do want to ask you about Andrade because he has not 
wrestled much on TV since being in AEW. And he certainly has, I don't even think Andrade's won a match, or if he has, maybe it's been one match. He doesn't win matches on TV anymore. In retrospect, was it, was it a mistake for Andrade to leave the WWE? Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one, Duke. Uh, I think Andrade should have probably waited a little bit longer, try his luck probably a little bit in the Indies, just take a couple contracts here and there and waited, you know, his options. Uh, I love the fact that he, the way that he debuted, the, the way they brought him, the mask, everything. I like it. It's Andrade. And I I like his work a lot. And I think he could be definitely very much retire. I think we got the next uh, Latino face, you know, of wrestling for, for, for us. So I think he should have waited, not signed that quick and waited his options and maybe try to come back to WWE somehow, even if Vince we was still in there. I would try to come back some way somehow uh, because I think Andrade got something else. The AEW, besides Chris Jericho and whatnot, understand there's the entertainment side of it. I think Andrade could give you that. And Andrade would have been a lot better. And let's say now Triple H and Triple H hands. Forget it. Maybe he hasn't won. Because of the wedding, because this going on, the, the, the last big flare, last match, maybe it has to do with that. That way they could keep him off TV. Maybe now we're at where his wedding finished, honeymoon, uh, Rick Flair's last match with all that finish. Maybe now he could focus on AEW. Maybe. So we'll see. I, I hope you're right, man. I hope you're right. Another one is uh, the guy formerly known as Rusev. Miro is complaining that he doesn't appreciate his spot in AEW. He feels like he should be given more. This is another guy that, although the WWE did let him go because of the pandemic, he's the type of guy who I would have assumed they would have brought back. Um, I don't know, man. I, I just I see a situation in AEW where you have a promotion that tried to convince everybody that they were going to be a true alternative and they were going to be so great. And now here we are three years later and the fans, their own fans are turning on them because they have not delivered on what they claim they were going to deliver. You know and, what, one thing? Yeah. If you excuse me, dude, I feel like it, they started giving something fresh and different. Uh, but then friendship. You could see friendship. When friendship is running business and you continue to give the people the same run around and end ending up in handman, ending up and now Adam Cole, they lead, they're undisputed. Uh, they're already trying to put things around Kenny Omega. Moxley, they need Moxley. I think even though the blood and everything with Moxley is kind of getting tiring, but if you don't have Moxley there, I think. And, John, and Chris Jericho, you got nothing. Uh, yeah, I, there's all the guys there that I that I like, that I enjoy. Keith Lee, Swerve, uh, Ricky Starks, uh, Hobbs, Hook, you know, Darby Sting. Yes, you got those names. But if you don't have, 
if you don't start spending out of the same people and letting other people grow and holding people back, uh-uh, you, you're going down because it, it, it's revolving around the same people. If at the end of the day, you look at the storylines, it revolves around the same exact people. Now the storyline that they're trying to build is their leader getting undisputed. Again, same people. You're forgetting you got FTR. Why you not build something with FTR and I don't know, a new team? Besides going to them for the trio champion. Why the friends, they are running the business. I'm winning the belts first than everybody else. Couldn't say it any better myself, brother. You hit it right on the head. That is why he is the rebel connector. Excuse me, rebel collector. That's why he's the man, brother Jay. Jay, let everybody know what's the best way that they can follow you online and, and see all the shenanigans that you and the family get into. Uh, you can follow us on TikTok as uh, Can I Get a Hell? Yeah. With three A's at the end. Uh, you can follow me at Rebel underscore collector and Twitter. Uh, yeah, you can find us there. And then you can connect with me. You can connect with Karina as well separately. Uh, but we're always there. We will be here. And it's wrestling time. I'll tell you, brother. Now, listen, before I let you go, talk to me about the uh, Puerto Rican food, man. Have we, have we tried anything new? Is there anything from that restaurant that you like so much? Is, is there anything on the menu there that uh, you hadn't tried until recently that you enjoyed? Uh, well, now he got a ceviche. He did started doing a ceviche. It's, uh, I think it has octopus, shrimp. Hello, Mary. Uh, and of course, the other stuff. I really don't know much on how to make a ceviche. But man, that thing was good. Uh, well, here's the thing about ceviche. You know, that stuff is not cooked. Yes, it's raw. It's 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 well, here's the thing. It's it's raw, but it is um all the bacteria and stuff is killed off because of the acidity from whatever they use, which normally would be like a lime juice. So they get it cold to a certain point and then they pour the lime juice in there with the onion and everything like that, mix it up. And that's enough to kill off the bacteria so that you have something that's so fresh and uh, delicious. So, man, so they got a ceviche now. Do, do they give you chips with it? What do they have with it? Uh, tostones, fried pâtés. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Wow. I knew you would have something. I knew you would try something, Jay. <laughs> hey, just the other day, just the other day, he decided to bring a Haitian chef. Her name was Rose. And it was pretty, you know, it was really good. Pretty good food with a little bit Haitian taste on it. Wow. See, we're going all over the Caribbean now. I love it. I love it. Right, you, gotta, you gotta come to Pensacola. You gotta come to Pensacola. I know that's that's the plan. I got to I got to make it out there. We'll have to record you and I going to a couple of food joints when I come out, man. We got to we got to do it big. Definitely. I love to eat. Don't worry. <laughs> you like you like coffee? Of course. I'm a big coffee drinker. Oh, so let's do this. I got a couple. We got a couple of places, but there's one that's called Drowsy Point. Perfect. All right. So, so how do you have your coffee at this place? Let, let's let's end on this note here. What is the the J special at this place? I got to go with the vanilla espresso. Uh, what is it on this one? Vanilla Poetino. It's frozen. Oh, man. With an extra shot of espresso. Oh, man. That'll wake you up. Yes. <laughs> 
We All right, to so, be drinking that. <laughs> so, so we're gonna get some Puerto Rican food, some Haitian food, and we're gonna get some uh, frozen espresso to wash it all down. I love it. Jay, thank you once again for joining Duke Loves Wrestling. Uh, thank you for having me, man. It's a pleasure. This is Alan Roulette of River Horse Photography and River Horse Photography Allure, and you are listening to Duke Loves Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, we have one of our all-time favorites back on the Duke Loves Wrestling podcast, a man that has continued to monitor what's going on in women's wrestling and beyond. You know, and, and really is someone that I have a tremendous amount of respect for because, again, he uses facts in order to come to his conclusions about things in wrestling. And again, it, it's just refreshing. It's refreshing in a world where people believe that their opinion means more than anything else and how they feel must be what matters as opposed to, no, these are the facts. This is the data, regardless of how I feel. This is what's really going on. And then providing analysis with that foundation so without further ado welcome back the man the myth the legend mr rob the genius what's going on there rob hey man good to be back it is great to have you back my brother before we get started plug plug your social media plug your website for us let's just lead with that please okay you can find me on twitter at r-b-o-n-n-e-1 or my and my kind of tag name is rob the genius and you can find my website is robsagenius.com, R-O-B-S-A-G-E-N-I-U-S.com. And you can hear me on the Mindless Wrestling Podcast once a week. And you can hear me every week and a half or every two weeks or so on my own podcast, the uh, Rob the Genius Podcast. So I'm all over the place. All you, you folks out there with content creators, if you're not reaching out to Rob the Genius to collaborate with or have on your show, you're making a big mistake because this dude legitimately, he has so much to offer because he actually takes a look at the data. And that is what's missing in most of these wrestling podcasts and these wrestling shows. It's just who cares about your opinion if you, if you don't have some facts to back it up, you know? So you need a guy like Rob to kind of, he, he helps me reset and he, and he challenges my thinking and what I believe I'm seeing out there. Uh, by providing the, the facts. So it's, it's again, refreshing and, and definitely, folks, collaborate with this man. It's worth it. Rob, we're in August now. Yeah. A lot has happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, so we got uh, Vince is retired. Hunter's taken over. Uh, Warner Brothers Media. Uh, Zasloff is on the rampage. <laughs> um, there's a whole lot going on here. This Since sure I is last on with you. Yeah, <laughs> this sure is. It's it's crazy, man. And and l- let me ask you this before we even get into some of the, the data points here. Um, based on the conversations that we've had just about where we see AEW going, especially with the lack of women's wrestling content they've put on TV and their issues with diversity in terms of who they're featuring, how often, you know, the lack of black and brown people in the main event scene consistently, things like that. Does it surprise you that everyone is finally starting to admit that AEW is is not likely to get 
a new contract with uh, Warner Brothers Discovery? Um, no, I was I was because I listened to your man uh, Tony. Tony Baglio, yeah. shout out to Tony Baglio, good yeah. man there with IndieWire, of course. Yeah, so I so I listened to that whole episode he he had recently. Now I admit I was a bit surprised that he was that dire about it because I figured that well okay well before all this stuff started happening with Zaslov cutting all this stuff I figured that they would probably get renewed but they wouldn't get as big anywhere near as big of a raise as like Brandon Thurston was saying right he was out here saying they'd get like a five time increase and I'm sorry you're, you're smoking rocks if you believe that. Um, but I thought they would, I mean, I thought they were at least a shoe in to get renewed. And so after listening to Tony, um, look, anything is possible now, um, to be honest, because he made a good point that even if as is, even if they don't get a raise, that's 45 million. The deal right now that they have is $45 million a year for TV rights. And the way that Zaslav is just, taking a battle axe to everything that he can find. You can't rule it out that he's going to see $45 million a year and say, you know, we got to, we got to get rid of that. You can't rule it out. So it is very possible that, you know, that when their contract is up, that they won't get renewed with Warner. Now, like now Tony believes that they, if that happens, they will land somewhere else. So I, and I tend to, I'll trust him. He's, Knows what he's talking about. I think I, I would trust him on that to be right, because they are getting nine hundred thousand viewers every week. That is not something you can just pull out of thin air if you're a cable channel. So I think if they don't get renewed, they'll get picked up by somebody. But I think you got to definitely think it's on the table that they don't get renewed now because. I mean, the way that um, Zaslav is just killing all these projects. Um, y- you can't just sit there and say that, well, there's no way he's going to touch AEW, right? I mean, he he's just going to town here uh, and, and anywhere where they can find some money to save. Well, w- one of the things that Zaslav said, and, and again, we're talking uh, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslav, a.k.a. Zaz, uh, he made it clear that there's three billion dollars from this new company, Warner Brothers and Discovery being merged. It's called Warner Brothers Discovery. There's three billion with a B, three billion dollars of fat that he needs to cut. And he's right. going to find it. And and certainly he's been doing a very aggressive job at cutting things that surprises people. But w- one of the points that he's making is that the return on investment is not justifiable enough for us to continue to invest in these properties. So in the case of an AEW, they are trying to appeal to the key demo. That's what they keep saying. This is not my opinion. This is what Tony Khan has said. That's their core audience. Tony has has touted, you know, our, our audience is the, you know, they, they have the most disposable income and all this other nonsense. He's talking about white men, basically. Um, yeah. In 2022 and going into the future here, that's not enough. You you need to have a diversified audience so that you can have a diversified ad revenue base. 
And I think right. one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of these folks have made, and, and, and Rob, I want to get your take on this statement that I'm about to make here. I think having blinders on and only focusing on one specific type of customer, one specific type of consumer, as opposed to looking at the landscape and realizing that the more people in the family that we can attract, the more money we can make. I think it's been a, a big mistake that a lot of brands have made, and especially in pro wrestling with an AEW, uh, they bought into this, this notion. And the fact that they haven't been renewed yet lets me know that this notion was probably not the way to go. What do you think? Well, yeah, now here, here's the thing, right? Because when they started out, they made a hard sell for the disgruntled WWE fan or disgruntled former WWE fan. That was their hard sell for who they were trying to reach. That particular group of fans are mostly white men. Okay. Uh, that's, who make, that's who mostly makes up that group. So whether it was intentional or not, that ends up that 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 demographic ended up being their target audience, um, because, and then that, that, look, and that's not to say that us you know black people love everything about the WWE. No, we don't. But understand that in the past couple of years, you know, with I mean, there has been noticeable progress on you know uh, the makeup of the roster, the makeup of who gets pushed, and all of that. There has been progress there. Um, the idea that, that, you know, look, we don't, me and you, we've sat through decades of almost all white WWF and WWE rosters. The idea that we'd be ready to bail today with, you know, Bianca Belair and Big E and Bobby Lashley and all these other folks, the idea that we would bail now is a little, a little crazy, right? Um, so this, 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 these disgruntled, you know, pissed off, you know, dis again, disgruntled WWE fans or disgruntled former WWE fans. Um, they're a lot like the same to the pissed off comic book fans who just coincidentally started to get pissed off as you started to see more, you know, female superheroes, more black and brown superheroes, more, you know, LGBT superheroes. That also gave rise to this kind of section of comic book fans who were pissed off about comic books now and comic books aren't they're not as good as it used to be and they're to this and they're to that now and you know blah 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 um it's the same kind of demographic it's made up of the same people and if you're going to make a hard if you're going to make a hard sell to the disgruntled fan of a lot of these different genres whether it's pro wrestling or comic books or video games or other things if you're going to make a hard sell for the disgruntled fan demographic those are mostly white men. So there is a real good chance that that's going to end up being your audience or your customer base or a lot of, or a, a good part of your audience or customer base. Now we both know, you know, some black people who do watch AEW, so that's not the entire fan base, but you make this, you make this hard pitch for the disgruntled fan, the disgruntled star Wars fan. Those are mostly white men. You know, the people who were pissed off because you had the sister playing the, the you know, Sith or the Inquisitor in the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing that just ended, right? I mean, who are those people who were pissed off about this stuff? They're mostly white men. So if you're going to make a hard sell for the disgruntled fan demographic, 
that is mostly white men and there's plenty of evidence you know data anecdotal evidence and whatnot to prove it um so that's how you end up where you are now now this thing with AEW, if now first of all the the warner discovery merger is it's one of those things that was those leveraged mergers which means that you end up you know the company that as it is comprised after the merger is in a shit ton of debt because I mean, you don't walk in there with, with, you know, a tractor trailer full of cash to make that kind of deal. It's, you know, it's bought on credit and leveraged and, you know, this, that, and the other. So you end up with a big, so you end up with a whole lot of debt. And because actually discovery was much smaller than Warner media and discovery was the one doing the purchasing. So yeah, they, they racked up a lot of debt to make the purchase. So now they're in debt up their eyeballs. So now they have to cut a bunch of stuff. And now where this pertains to AEW is, I mean, it's real simple. It's a $45 million line item. And the only thing that Warner media gets out of AEW is some ad revenue. And it's, this is actually, this is another thing that Tony mentioned during, um, you know, they, all they get from AEW is ad revenue. So they, like they don't get a piece of the action on pay-per-view or, ticket sales or merchandise or any of that. All they get is ad revenue and then they're paying them $45 million a year. That's the pretty black and white, you know, cost benefit analysis kind of situation here. So it just, it's, um, it really just depends on when, when they, when they get around to this meeting and talking about AEW, they're going to look at it as like, okay, right now we pay them $45 million. We get, I don't know whatever they get back in ad revenue. We don't know those numbers, but it and they're just going to look at it and it's going to be real simple. Uh, do we get enough ad revenue back off of this forty-five million dollars we spend every year, or not? If if we if we're getting enough money back off of for the forty-five million dollars we spend, then all right. When is until you know if we can't find something better. Then we'll stick with it. If we're not getting enough ad revenue back off of this forty-five million dollars, then what are we doing here? And and it's really going to and that's all it's going to come down to. It's got nothing to do with whether or not you like their style of wrestling or how you like whether or not how the show is booked. Got nothing to do with that. It's just point blank. We this cost us. We spend forty-five million dollars a year for this product for this show. We get back. You know, however much we get back in ad revenue, does the money we get back in ad revenue justify the expenditure? And that is because Zaslav, that is all he is about. He is bottom line. He is not sentimental about this at all. So it is, it is a very black and white bottom line. You know, are we, do we make enough to warrant this, per, to warrant paying this money every year? And that's going to be a yes or no question, an up or down, yes or no question. And how that question gets answered is going to determine what decision is made. And it, it's, it's, it's real simple. It, it really is. It really is. And it's, it's interesting because we're going to be in a situation where if they get the contract that somebody like uh, Brendan Howard Thurston, the third from WrestleNomics radio, you know, he's been on Duclos wrestling numerous times, although I think Tony Khan put a kibosh to that. 
don't worry, Brandon. I still love <laughs> you, man. Um, but, you know, Brandon's saying that they should get somewhere between a three to five X uh, increase, which are you kidding me? AEW is going to be paid $200 million a year for their programming by who? Um, Brandon, like like uh, Rob said earlier, I think you might be smoking rocks or something. Um, I think that we're either going to be talking about, well, they managed to pull it off. So what were the the elements that made that possible? How, how did this brand convince a entity, whether it's Warner Brothers Discovery or anyone else, to pay them that kind of money? We're either going to be saying that or we're going to be saying, OK, where did they fail? What was missing in their product that made it essentially impossible for them to be able to be signed to a, a, a more lucrative deal and dig them out of debt? I'm going to stick on the diversity piece. I, I think that the lack of women's wrestling on TV, you know, only having one match per week is, is it definitely has put them in a position where they're less attractive. I think uh, not having clear cut black and brown male singles wrestlers, which is their number one division of the company. I think not having black and brown male singles wrestlers in the title hunt definitely hurts them from a branding standpoint. And I think overall, if you're only attracting uh, white males as your audience and you're not trying to attract anyone else, um, you put yourself in a position where you're pigeonholed so much. You're a niche of a niche. It's just a hard sell. You know what I mean? You're not going to get Eminem Mars. You're not going to get uh, the major uh, car brands. You're not going to get these family friendly, you know, Disney World or something like that. No one wants to advertise to something that's so small. They want bigger and better. They want diversity. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. And, the conversation we have got, around this. Was that? Yeah. And, and you also got to include just some of the content. Um, like every week, somebody's bleeding now. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, that's that's, that's Ridiculous. a turn off. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a turn off to sponsors in particular. Um, if, if it happens, look, if it happens every now and then, yeah, you can clear something like that. But if you're doing it on, and it's happening almost every week now there and look, whether, whether you care about it or not, you know, Look, some people some people are perfectly fine with blood and matches or whatever. Whether you're fine with it, whether you want to see more of it, or whether you don't like it at all, it is absolutely a turn off to sponsors. Um, it is. So that's an issue. I mean, uh, they're not as sponsor friendly as they could be, for sure. So, so then, which where's the incentive for any for any network to do business with them? And I guess that's the. That's been my sticking point since day one, Rob. What? If you're not putting the 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 needs of the sponsors, if you're not making yourself as attractive as possible for the sponsors, then you shouldn't be. You, you're missing the whole point of being on TV. Well, yeah. Now there is like the second and third tier of cable channels who are absolutely desperate. But they don't have the money, Rob. They're not going to pay you oh, well, two hundred well, million dollars. Well, no, they're not. They're not. No, and, no, you're not. And you, you're not. And you're not going to get forty-five million dollars. You're not even going to get that exactly because they don't have the so money. You're not. Yeah. Right. But um, 
so that will be a problem. If, if they end up having to do that, then they are going to have to release people because they're not going to have the money to pay these people. They, they, they can't even just release people. See, so here's my next thing. Their whole identity is built around former WWE stars and the indie darlings who maybe spent some time in, in ROH in New Japan. Well, those folks aren't going to take the kind of hit that would be necessary in order to bring that payroll down. So you're in a situation where you're just going to have to get rid of those folks, but who are you going to have left? Who the hell is going to watch that programming? You know what I mean? If, well, if that uh, were possible, then, yeah. then another company would have been able to pull that off all these years. Clearly they haven't not even, not even impact wrestling could pull that off. So no, there's no, there's no audience for a lesser wrestling company with lesser stars um long term it, it's just not from a financial standpoint it's not a reasonable thing and it definitely is not a tv worthy thing uh no because what you would have to do is like basically like mlw they're on a they're on the bn network which whatever is like that a, is yeah it's like a, it's like that's like a d-level cable channel and then they also then you know they run their sh- they broadcast their shows on youtube you know after you know later on but they don't make a lot of money and they don't pay people a lot of money. Oh. So like, cause you see like the guys who are on, the guys who work on MLW are all working indie shows, you know, when they're not there. Yeah. I mean, I so, don't even think MLW, there's no way they're generating any more than a couple million dollars. If that per yeah, year. And, and again, cause all, all the guys are work else work uh-huh. indie shows. Yeah. So if you're talking about being able to pay people, where you only have to work one job where you know where you don't have to go take a bunch of indie dates to make ends meet um yeah it's it's tough because um i mean even ring of honor the head guys work you know their guys were working indie dates also um and the people who work in impact work other dates places and and um man it's 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 gonna be they're gonna have to make some decisions and and honestly, this is and this will be detrimental for the entire industry because anytime you get any type of wage, you know, kind of depression, it affects the entire industry because you know they'll have to make some decisions on who to keep and who not to. And then now without them being as lucrative an option, now the WWE doesn't have to pay people as much. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, Rob, we 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 know we have an idea of what's going to happen just based on the way that Shad Khan, Tony Khan's father and the owner of AEW, just just by the way he does business. I mean, look what he just did with Black News Channel. Based on those facts, Shad Khan is going to put AEW in bankruptcy. Once Warner Brothers Discovery makes it clear that they're not going to sign AEW to any kind of increase, if they even keep them at all on their networks, um, Shad Khan is going to put AEW in bankruptcy. He's not going to continue to have this money losing operation with no future of of success in sight. It's just not a, it's not a, he's not the type of businessman that's going to keep pumping money into something like that, regardless of if, if it's Tony Khan's inheritance or not. I find it very interesting that Tony Khan was not the one to own AEW from the beginning even though allegedly it's his money from his inheritance. If it's his money, then why wouldn't he be the owner? 
he had to use his father as collateral and they share a lot of the same backstage employees that are Jacksonville Jaguars black backstage employees. They share the same office. They share the same building as far as their main operations base. So, you know, Tony has taken very little, if any risk on a personal level, this is all being financed by the Jaguars and by his daddy, uh, which, you know, his daddy owns the Jaguars. There's no way that Shad can continue to take that loss for much longer. So this was an opportunity for Tony to bump, to pump that company up to a point where he could pay off all its debts and then, you know, possibly actually take over completely from his dad. He wasn't able to do it. And it doesn't look like he's going to be able to do it. I think we're, I think AEW is finished. And I think with Ring of Honor, information, and I don't know if you saw this online, Rob, but information is starting to come out that it doesn't even look like Tony Khan owns Ring of Honor because the paperwork hasn't been finalized. Uh, no, I, yeah, because uh, I did see those tweets that you referred to. And, yeah, I did a little, just a little homework myself on that. I just looked up the addresses to see if they were real. You know, because, look, I mean, people get, look, people get fooled with documents all the time on the internet uh it's ended careers like you know dan rather for example right um so people who are doing good honest work can still get fooled by documents on the internet so i just you know looked up a couple of those addresses in those and the addresses are authentic so uh the guy who looked up that stuff um it looks like he's i mean it looks like he's knows what he's doing yeah, I mean, I, so, I went on the, 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 the Maryland uh, Secretary of State's website and just looked up Ring of Honor's um, filings. So this is all public record. You know, they're they're a business, yeah. so they have to disclose certain information. Tony Khan's name is not on anything, nor is his company. So this is a problem. <laughs> yeah, um, and well, it... it <laughs> I'll say this is unfortunate. It, it, it's it's unfortunate because there are good people who work there. Who if this if all this stuff falls apart, if all this stuff goes south, there are going to be good people who work there who are out of work. Uh, oh yeah, and that's oh, that's yeah. the real and that's the real tragedy of all of this. And but it's looking more and more like he's basically has a house of cards here and it's fallen it's, it's falling apart far- yeah yeah um it, and now you know we still have you know a few years for this to play out so well, he very we, we have a year so here's the thing the contract is up in december of 2023 then the network has a one-year option to keep them until 2024 I'm going to make a bold statement based on all the information that's available available to us today, based on the way Zaz is making cuts, based on the poor management of Tony Khan, based on the the, the quality of the, the product itself continuing to lose uh, value and lose their fan base. Even their core audience is not satisfied with what they're putting out there right now. I don't think Warner Brothers Discovery is going to pick up their option. And in fact, I would be shocked if AEW continues to air all the way through December of 2023, I think that program gets cut within the next 12 months. They won't even make it to August of 2023 on Warner Brothers Discovery. 
Okay, now I'll be a little. Uh, I'll I'll hedge a little bit there. I do think not picking. I do think not picking up the option is definitely a, a, a strong possibility. Because well, because it, it's a very easy thing to do. It's very easy to just not pick up the option. Um, that's not a difficult decision to make one way or the other, whether you're going to stick with it or not. Um, as far as canceling them early, now, would well, I guess it depends because. If they make a decision that they're done and they're out of here, then yeah, you might as well get them out of here sooner than later. Um, look at look at what they've cut. Look at all these big time franchises with name value, with far bigger uh, audience bases, and delivering on far bigger demo numbers. Look at what they've gotten rid of already. Yeah, um, and because uh, honestly, like before all of this stuff started happening. With, with Zaslov, I was not too eager to jump out there and say they were in trouble because, look, I did not want to be that guy saying that and then end up with egg on my face, right? And so I just look until we until we get some real information that points to it being a possibility. I'm going to hedge you know, on saying that they're in trouble, um, but now. I mean, it's definitely. I mean, I mean, it's definitely on the table, right? I mean, just all the things again, all the stuff, all the information you can look at here, it is definitely on the table, and again, it's just you know, are they? What are they getting back for the forty-five million dollars they're paying every year? And that's what it comes down to. Um, if they're not getting enough back, then that's it. And, yeah. I mean, and. I'm saying that because look, because look, me and you, uh, we're both critical of Tony Khan. We're both been very critical of the AEW product itself, but I think it is very much a bottom line thing. And and because I mean, Zaslov's not a wrestling guy anyway, so he probably doesn't particularly care too much about the content unless unless you know he finds unless unless he sees that the content itself is costing them money, but he probably doesn't really care. But he is going to look at the bottom line and he, and look, it's a $45 million expenditure every year. And the only thing you get back is ad revenue. So it's just, it's, it's very black or white. It's very bottom line. And that's all there is to it. And I guess though now, cause now with their audience, here's the thing, right? Cause I've been looking at this too. And now, and look, we've talked about how, you know, unreliable the, you know, Nielsen thing itself is. And I stand by that. One thing you can, what you have to do, if you're going to look at ratings numbers and all of that stuff, you got, okay, it's it's a very flawed system, obviously. So all you can do is you can compare things within that system, you know, and just make sure you apply the same rules to everything within that system. And you can, and so you can do that and you can glean some information from it. It's just, I would not, it, you know, you just have to be careful with how you use that information to, you know, forecast things and whatnot. But what I will tell you is that the uh, the audience itself is very stagnant. And well, what I mean by that. It's going backwards, isn't it? Well, all right. Well, since they moved to TNT, because, and this is the important thing, right? Because last year, like the last couple of months out of the year for a while, 
they got moved to Saturday a couple of times and then they were live on the West coast for a while. And you can't really get, you know, that's, you know, that's not even apples and oranges. That's apples and something else entirely, but they've been on TNT since January of this year. And so you can look at that entire period because they haven't gotten moved around. They didn't, they've never gotten preempted for anything or none of that. So they have been on TNT at eight o'clock every Wednesday since January 5th of this year. So you can look at this entire period and you can judge that you can judge that entire period on what it looks like. So what and I've been doing that. So what I haven't basically their audience is very stagnant and they average nine hundred and fifty thousand viewers. That's the average for this year every week. But here, here's the here's the kicker though. Here's the important thing. All right, from week to week, the the average kind of change in the audience up or down is just 2000 people. That's negligible. That's not even like, that's not even 1%. So their audience from week to week doesn't even change by 1%, which means that, I mean, basically it's, it's, it's the same people every week. It's um, the same you know. people. And, and it's not a surprise when we go back to the philosophy of the company. This is what Tony Khan was saying. This is what uh, Cody Rhodes was saying. This is what Chris Jericho was saying. They wanted to focus on their core audience, and they were so focused on the key demo, which for them, their key demo is white males. What is 18 to 45? So that's what they focused on. And hey, look, they've done a job. I can't even call it a good job because... There's a hell of a lot more white males, 18 to 45 available than a million people. Yet that's all they can. They keep hovering around a million people every week as far as what they can attract. And we know that that number is a lot more accurate than the number of people of color that they're attracting. And we know that they're they're over indexing in that key demo, because if you throw people of color in there, especially black and brown households, that key demo number will drop like a rock because of the issues with Nielsen not counting us uh, accurately, uh, specifically here. So their audience is actually smaller and more homogenous than we even realize. They've tapped into everyone that they can attract with the way that they do business. And that's why, like what you just said there, Rob, the variation from week to week is not dramatic for for, um, Dynamite. Now, here's here's the best part. They can't even bring that same audience over to Rampage. They can't even bring that same audience well, no, over I, to their web shows, <laughs> which you can watch at any point that you want. Oh, right. Yeah, I know, man. <laughs> yeah, so so I think there's there's no question about that variation, like you just said. It's because they they haven't changed the product enough to attract anyone more than what they've been able to attract so far Rob. right and and that's i mean and it's pretty spelled out in black and white now because and look that's over a well we're in the middle of august so basically basically seven and a half months we're looking at which is a pretty decent sample size like we're not talking about you know two weeks or something here we're talking about seven and a half months where they have been on the same night in the same time slot 
you know, with, with no variation. So yeah, they, I mean, the average, the, the change from week to week is 2000 people out of 950,000. So that's less than 1% that their audience changes from week to week. And it's just, and even, um, some of their like kind of special branded episodes don't really change things much. Uh, well, here, like the last, here, the, here's the, the thing. Last. Here's the thing, Rob. You 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 look at WWE with NXT, right? They're telling you that these are lesser wrestlers. These this is a, a developmental brand, so you're not going to see the same superstars that you see on Raw and SmackDown. Right. And so the variation in how many people watch that show is understandable because you're not getting the same quality of show. But Raw and SmackDown, for the most part, their numbers are very close to each other. You know what I mean? It's like SmackDown does more, but SmackDown is also available in more homes around right. the nation. So that variation between the two shows where a Raw is probably going to average somewhere around 1.6, even though we know that that number is not completely accurate, it's it's what they're using. So fine, a 1.6. And we know that SmackDown is going to do about a 2, 2.1. That's understandable considering the variation of how many people actually have the, the the channel, USA Network, compared to Fox. AEW's variation, you got the same superstars for the most part on the same channel, just different nights. How the hell is this such a dramatic variation between Rampage and um, Dynamite? Well, because well, well, Rampage is in a is in a terrible time slot. They're Friday at ten. And the other thing is that, well, I mean, that's one of those things where you'd have, you'd have to ask people who who watch both, and ask people who who watch who only watch Dynamite because I mean, Rampage you're looking at on average their their average number is five hundred thousand. Is that their average for the year? So, uh, there well. That's their average since CM Punk came back last year. So it's been about a full year. And their average over the le- over the, this basically full year since CM Punk came back is 500,000 people. And now, now they haven't actually had 500,000 people in a while. The last time they had over 500,000 people was in April. Because, <laughs> um, and... On the last, and then and then they they did get moved around a couple of for a few weeks, because uh, of like NBA and NHL playoffs and whatnot. But since they've been on at the same time since June tenth, so since June tenth, they are averaging four hundred thirty thousand people. All right, so that's about a month and a half we're talking, or almost almost two full months. They've been averaging. For, the last two full months, they've been averaging 430,000 people, according to Nielsen. Now, of course, again, we know that that's an undercount, but there isn't a whole lot of variance there either. The average over this past year, their average kind of variance in week to week is 5,000 people, which is about 1% of their audience. So, again, you're not getting a lot of movement here uh, at all. So basically, what I mean, and that's no matter who they put on, you know, 
They've had Daniel Bryan on the show. They've had CM Punk wrestle on the show. They've had Kenny Omega wrestle on the show. Uh, and they still haven't been able to, to do much above the in the 500,000 range. And again, it's Friday night, 10 o'clock. And I think now I will say whatever happens with the TV contract, uh, my I'm going to go ahead and predict it. Rampage is cooked. I, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and say that because you you can you can very easily replace you know 400,000 people on a Friday night. I mean, you can you can you can you can do reruns of something and, and get that. Um, so I think Rampage is probably cooked, and then you know whatever happens with the TV deal, if they do survive on TBS for Dynamite, I think Rampage is probably done. Um, but again, it just there's not a lot of movement from week to week, and. Like they're they're gonna I mean they long term they have to find some way to do something about that because well put it like okay if you look at the lifespan of a TV show usually okay you have a certain number that you debut with let's say you know the the Duke and Rob's talk show right and let's say we debut with a million viewers right and then let's say that if if our show was gonna have any type of lengthy run at some point. We get, you know, something we do something on the show that gets hot and it and increases our audience for a few years. And then we hit kind of a peak and we stay there for a little while. And then we just kind of gradually decline as long as we're on the air. Right. That's the usual lifespan of a TV show. They haven't had that. Their peak was at the very when they debuted. And you know, and then they went down from that and they've been, and then they plateaued and they're in year three now. And usually, I mean, if a TV show gets hot and starts to get a bump in their audience, it'll usually be like the second or third season. Right. Uh, Cause you know, people will, more people will get wind of it. There might, there'll be some character that captivates people or some relationship on the show that captivates people and they'll start tuning in and and then the show will become like a fad almost, and you know, and then it'll attract more people for a little while. Um, they haven't even hit they haven't hit that stage yet, right? Because look, I mean, on on Monday Night Raw, Monday Night Raw started in 1993. You know, they got hot with Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? And the audience shot up to like six million people, and that was the peak. And they've been kind of leveling off since then, but they had a period where they shot up. Nitro uh, had, you know, they debuted. Uh, I, I don't know what they debuted with, but, you know, the NWO got hot and then they shot up five, six million people. You know, that was their peak and had things not gone bad with, you know, AOL, Time Warner and all of that. Had things not gone bad on that end and had they stayed on the air, you know, they would have had, a, you know, a gradual decline from that six million people to whatever it ended up with. So AEW hasn't hit the increase yet. They haven't they haven't found that thing that will get more people that will just attract more people to just start checking their show out 
because it's a cool thing to do even, right? Um, they haven't hit that yet. They haven't found that yet. And I don't think and, in, their, in their current state with who they have as their president, Tony Khan, his his lack of experience is showing um, because you can't hotshot your way into success. You know what I mean? No. Over, over time, you really have to have a compelling product that is episodic and you, you have to de- deliver on something that people actually care to, to continue to consume. I mean, say whatever you want about the WWE, but even at their worst, they're giving you enough of something that you're still keeping an eye on what's going on over there. Uh, that's correct. Now, now the key, because when, you know, when people were saying this was a war or whatever, um, if you look at, all right, for the different catalysts throughout the history of the WWE and WWF before that, right, they hit with Bruno San Martino, right? That was their first big hit. Then, you know, in our lifetime, they hit with Hulk Hogan. Then they hit again with Austin and The Rock. Then they hit again with John Cena. And more recently, they've started to hit again with, with Roman Reigns. And, you know, AEW, will have, they will have to find something like that. And look, when, and then when, when WCW was, you know, which was legitimately taking it to the WWF, they hit with the NWO. Right. Um, when. So they're going to have they got to find something like that, that is going to be a hit. That will get people watching. Because the other thing is that, you know, w- when you're hot, people don't pay attention as much to whatever your shortcomings are or whatever. Right. So, you know, Vince Sr.'s product had shortcomings when he had Bruno San Martino, but. Bruno San Martino was such a big deal that nobody cared. During the height of Hulkamania, that product had shortcomings, but people didn't care because Hulk Hogan was such a big deal and such a captivating figure. During the Attitude Era, that product had shortcomings, but people were so dialed into The Rock and Steve Austin, same thing. Now, with Cena, because of social media and all that stuff, they weren't quite, they weren't as immune from that type of, from the nitpicking and all of that stuff. But after Cena was gone, the nitpicking did get worse. So now AEW, the only real run they had like that was when they first started, when people were just so excited about them being there that they, you know, were, and that they were willing to look past stuff. But now we're in year three. And now, I mean, you can just, even on my Twitter timeline every Wednesday night, there are people who still watch regularly, but who are more apt to point out problems. So they don't, they haven't, they have yet to find that kind of captivating figure that will get everybody to want to watch to the point where they, you know, will look past the shortcomings and they haven't found it yet. I don't think it's coming because you know, John Cena is not going there. Um, no one they could sign that would that would deliver that type of instant attention is going to go there. John Cena is not going to go there. Brock Lesnar is not going to go there. We know Roman Reigns is not going to go there. Um, 
you know, no one else on uh, none of the, you know, none of Sasha Banks is not going to go there. Uh, right. I mean, nobody who could just be like, oh, like nobody who could actually get you to stop and say, oh, wow, that person went there. Because that's what happened with WCW, right? Um, they got Hulk Hogan. Then they got Randy Savage. Then they got Rowdy Rowdy Piper. And they got Diesel and, you know, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Right? They got all of these people showed up there. Which in turn, and it, and it looked like, oh, wow. Man, all these people are there now. I need to see what's going on over there. And the people that AEW pulled in that they were hoping would do that. Ultimately, I mean, Chris Jericho was doing it for a little while at the beginning, but CM Punk has not done that. And John Moxley over the long term has not done that. I think he may have done a little bit at the beginning, but over the long haul, he has not done that. Um, Daniel Bryant has not, you know, over the long haul, Daniel Bryant has not done that. And I just don't think there's anybody who's willing. There's, there's nobody they can get who who will do that now. And and look, they've signed everyone pretty much there is to sign from WWE who's been available. Uh, and none of those people have, you know, caused such a stir that you will would you would want to go see what's going on over there now on the contrary they did lose somebody like that and his name is cody rhodes and cody going back to wwe now had the reverse effect now you get because because now that's a sign that wait a minute cody rhodes who was an evp who was a founding member, member of the company Cody Rhodes, who left WWE before it was a cool thing to do, he went back. You know, what's that all about? Right? That's more of an attention. That's the attention grabbing kind of thing that they needed or that they still need that they haven't gotten. And instead, the attention grabbing thing was Cody going back to WWE. And not only that, but Cody going back to WWE and getting the full treatment from WWE and WWE fans that he'd always wanted. Right? I mean, you saw the WrestleMania entrance. That is what he's wanted his whole career. And he finally got that, not in AEW, but in the WWE. And that is basically like a big flag going up to people like MJF, to people like Wardlow, or Hobbs or Jade that, hey, you know what? Yeah, you might want to look over here when when the time comes. And I think, look, and look, MJF is pretty much a done deal. We know as soon as he's free, we know where he's going. Um, that's pretty much sealed at this point. And now, look, and now, you know, with Vince retiring, now I think, I still think Hunter's, the praise that Hunter is getting is still a little, little overcooked right now, I think. But at least from a perception standpoint, it looks more and more like a place you want to go to now again. And so AEW, I mean, their long-term survival is going to hinge on them landing 
somebody that makes you want to stop and see what's going on over there. That's the, their long term. Their long term survival is dependent on that, and and because that's the nature of the wrestling business, right? That's not even uh, an AEW or WWE kind of thing. You know, your your company, your territory is only as good as having that person there that gets people to focus on it, right? And that goes back to you know Jerry Lawler in Memphis and the Von Erichs in Texas, right? And the you know Freebirds wherever they you know the different places they showed up to work, right? And so their long-term survival is dependent on that. And they're going to have to find that or get that some kind of way. Well said. Well said. Listen, Rob, as it, it, always, man, you you bring the heat <laughs> when you come on here, which I love. <laughs> uh, you, you, don't, you don't shy away from it. You lean right in, but you're not going to say something that you're not um, confident in saying, which I do appreciate. It's refreshing. Why don't you let everybody know once again? best way that they can keep up with you because as this landscape continues to change you're one of those people that i'm you know if i were a betting man i would say that rob the genius is going to end up emerging as one of the voices that people are going to be tapping into and paying a lot more attention to okay so you can find me on twitter at r-b-o-n-n-e-1 and you can my website is robsagenius.com and you can hear me on the mindless wrestling podcast where I'm part of the chair shot radio network. Those are the easiest ways to find me. And if you want to hear me talk about things other than professional wrestling, I have my own podcast, the Rob, the genius podcast. I talk about all types of things there. Um, so those are the places you can find me and, you know, feel free to, you know, shoot me a message, you know, or what have you. And like I've always said, you know what, um, should you find any of the information I provided to be incorrect or whatever, I have no problem making corrections. Okay. Uh, that, you know, I've, I'm not one of these people who I don't die on the hill. Okay. If you know, if you, if you got better information than what I'm giving you and then I will gladly correct myself. It's not a problem. If you are a content creator, and you want a great program that provides studio quality sound, especially when you're doing interviews, then I encourage you to check out Zencaster. That's right, Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. It is my absolute favorite program to record with. I encourage everyone to check it out, okay? Visit Zencaster.com for more information. Enjoy. This is WWE Hall of Famer JBL, and you are listening to Duke Loves Wrestling. Be kind to yourselves and be kind to others. Take it away, Tony Schiavone. This is Tony Schiavone, and we're definitely out of time on Duke Loves Wrestling. 